I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hey, welcome, welcome. Uh, good to see all of you here today. Uh, my name's Scott, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, helping us out here in our interim time uh, by assisting with the teaching. Uh, I am so glad you're all here. And, you know, I just got to confess to you, I'm not generally given over to the sins of envy or jealousy, except on Sunday morning when I'm sitting down here in the front row and I watch our incredible musicians up here. So let's give them an incredible hand. Love you guys and what you do. Thanks so much. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that the last couple of weeks we've been doing a very short series on Psalms to kind of serve as something of an on-ramp as we get ready to uh, celebrate Advent, which we'll get into next Sunday. Uh, so today, what we're going to do is we're going to walk our way through Psalm 103, and uh, I want to encourage you, if you brought a Bible or if you have your phone Maybe you brought an iPad. I want you to punch this up. We're going to be looking at certain verses that will be up here on the screen, but we'll be reading our way through the whole psalm. But it's just pretty long, and I want to make sure that you have access to that as we go. Uh, before we uh, look into this psalm and see what the Lord would teach us through it, I'm going to ask you to join your hearts together with me in prayer. Father, a couple of moments ago, we sang about how good you are, and you are so, so good to all of us. So, Lord, today, I just ask that you would reveal that side of your character to us in the teaching. Lord, as uh, we continue to uh, engage you and try to come to know you, I just pray you would pour out your mercy and your grace and your compassion on each of us. Father, we probably all walked in here today with different things we're processing through, different issues we're struggling with. Maybe even sins we're tempted to commit. So, Lord, wherever we're at, I just pray that you would embrace us and love us and show us how much you care for us. And now as we look into this psalm, Lord, we ask for your Spirit's guidance. We ask that you might enlighten our minds. We ask that you would touch our hearts. We ask us that you would show us who you are and what that means for us. And we pray all this in the great and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, beginning this week, we're all going to enter into uh, what our society labels the most wonderful time of the year. And for lots of us here, it is a great time of the year because we get to see family and friends. We're going to eat some great food. We're going to watch movies. We're going to read books. And we're probably going to catch up on our sleep a little bit. But for others of us, this isn't such a great time of the year. It's not quite so wonderful. Now, there's pain and tension from family dysfunction. There's the increasing and sometimes overwhelming feeling that we get in terms of the cost of all the presents we have to buy. And then some of us here, uh, we have to look forward to standing in line out at DIA with thousands and thousands of our closest friends as we wait to go through security so that then we can catch the train and we can get to our concourse and we can get to the gate where we have to wait again because our plane's been delayed due to bad weather. Uh, but friends, regardless of whether this holiday season is really, really good for us or it's not so good for us, it's almost always the busiest time of the year for all of us. I mean, regardless of who we are, how old we are, 
whether we're in school or whether we're working or whether we're retired, at one point or another, we're going to be shopping for presents in the mall or we're going to be shopping for presents on Amazon. At some point, we're going to be standing in line at King Supers or standing in line at Starbucks or standing in line at Starbucks at King Supers. <laughs> we're going to be attending Christmas concerts and School concerts, we're going to be completing the semester. We're going to be wrapping up a really, really big project at work before the end of the year. We're going to be coming to church. We're going to be sitting in traffic. And that's just the first week of December. Uh, The holiday season often reflects the reality of what the Red Queen said in that great book, Alice in Wonderland. Now here you see. It takes all the running you can do to stay in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you're going to have to run at least twice as fast as that. And in the busyness and the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, Scripture calls all of us to pause for a few moments here and there, to pause beyond Sunday morning. And then from the very deepest part of our being, praise our great God and Savior. Look how Psalm 103 verse 1 starts off. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Now, every one of these psalms in the Psalter has what we call a superscription. It's a little statement right underneath the number of the psalm, and it usually ascribes uh, the psalm to a particular author. Uh, The superscription for Psalm 103 attributes it to David. Well, if you've ever read the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, you know that David was many things throughout the course of his life. Uh, David was a son, a shepherd, a refugee for a large part of his life, a warrior, a politician, He was a friend. He was a husband. He was a father. He was a poet. He was a worship leader. And eventually he became Israel's king. A lot of scholars think that when David wrote this psalm, it was during his time when he was serving as Israel's king. And I think it's instructive that in the midst of all his royal responsibilities, his tasks, his duties, the things that he has responsibility for, that he has to perform, He pauses, he reflects, and he calls upon himself from the deepest part of his being to praise God. Now, what's it mean to praise? What exactly is that? Well, praise is the verbal and emotional expression we give to something or someone that we heartily approve of. I mean, if you're here this morning and you're a music lover or maybe you're a a, uh, movie lover or if you're a sports fan, uh, you understand what praise is all about. I mean, if you really like the movie, you say, well, that movie was fantastic. Or if you, you love the music, you say, man, that concert was great. Or if you're a sports fan and your team does something really, really well, I mean, you get up out of your chair and you just automatically go, they were awesome, that was fantastic. That's what David is expressing here in the psalm. 
in the midst of everything as king that he's got going on, he's pausing to say, God, you're my savior, you're my Lord. And from the deepest part of my soul, I want to give you praise. In fact, the word that's used here for praise in Psalm 103, verse 1, it's also translated bless in some versions. Uh, That's the Hebrew word barak. It means to humbly bow in the presence of someone who is unbelievably great. Friends, Psalm 103 calls all of us to dedicate some time, some energy, some effort to praising God in the midst of the good times, the tough times, and the really, really, really busy times that are going to come our way here in the next few weeks. Uh, The most famous Christian missionary of the 19th century was the Englishman David Livingston. Uh, By all accounts, Livingston was a person of exceptional gifts, and he was utterly committed to taking the gospel to places and to people where they had never, ever heard of Jesus. So in 1866, he ventured deep into the African jungle. Livingston was not heard of for years. In fact, most people thought that he had been killed or that maybe he had caught some kind of disease and died from that. But a few years later in 1871, Morton Stanley stumbled on Livingston as he was coming out of the jungle and Livingston was emaciated. He was dehydrated. He was in really, really bad shape. But the very first words out of Livingston's mouth upon seeing Stanley were the words of Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my being. Praise his holy name. See, David comes to us here, friends, and he tells us, regardless of our circumstances, praise can be a core part of who we are. But I'd like to suggest that like everything else in the Christian life, uh, that has to be learned and that has to be practiced. And so what King David wants to do in the rest of the psalm is he's going to push you and he's going to push me in that direction by giving us some very specific reasons to praise our great God. The first comes to us in Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. It starts off this way. Uh, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Now listen, David's going to go on here and he's going to list these. Who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, The very first reason that David tells you and me to praise God is because of the many, many, many benefits that he's bestowed on us. Uh, Let me walk through these one more time. Uh, God is the one who forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with love and compassion. He renews our youth by giving us good, good, good things. I like the way the great 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon phrased this. He says, here David begins his list of blessings received 
which he rehearses as themes and arguments for praise. Uh, He selects a few of the choicest pearls from the basket of divine love, threads them on a string of memory, and then he hangs them on the neck of gratitude. Oh, I love that. Because Spurgeon says in this incredibly eloquent manner that God has blessed each and every one of us with all of these benefits. Now, I want us to pause here for a moment, and I want us to do just a little bit of personal reflection. Is there one benefit in this list that applies to you more than any of the rest? Now, let me rephrase the question. I mean, we're all the recipients of all of those benefits, but does one stand out in your mind as a special reason for you to praise this great God today? I mean, for me, it's that second phrase, heals your diseases. In early December of 2005, I got a diagnosis of prostate cancer. And my mom had died of cancer about 15 years before that. So I knew from personal experience and observation that if they didn't catch it early enough, if they didn't give me the right treatment soon enough, what was going to happen was I was going to get really sick and then the medical professionals would simply buy me a few more months or maybe if I was really, really lucky, a few more years. But by God's grace, my two docs caught the cancer early. They did a great job of diagnosis and surgery. The Lord used those two men to heal my disease. Friends, our great and gracious God has blessed us with incredible benefits. And even though you're busy right now, and I'm busy right now, and we're all going to get a whole lot busier over the next four or five or six weeks, let's do what David says here and take some time to pause, reflect, and praise our great God. David says you should do that, first of all, because of his many benefits. But then he goes on to give us a second reason to pause and praise God. He says that the Lord deserves our praise because he forgives each and every one of our sins. Uh, Look at verses 6 through 12. David says the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Listen to this next phrase. As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Well, the historical context that David is referencing here is that period of time in Israel's history known as the Exodus. Uh, If you're familiar with that story and you've read the book of Exodus, you know that uh, God called Moses to be his human agent of divine deliverance and bringing the Hebrews out of oppressive, horrible slavery in Egypt. 
So he does that, and then they go out into the desert where they wander for 40 years. And out there in the desert, it looks like pretty much all they're doing is grumbling and complaining and sinning against the Lord and against each other, even though the Lord had miraculously delivered them, even though the Lord daily provided for their needs. Mm, Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Maybe sounds a little bit like us. I mean, praise and gratitude don't come easily to humanity. Uh, Praise of God is not our normal default mode. I think that's especially true for us as Americans in spite of all our abundance and our wealth and our mobility. In fact, you know this and so do I. In American society, if things don't go too well, a lot of Americans have a tendency to grumble, to complain, to blame others, and then sue them. I don't know if you knew this, but a few years ago, the San Francisco Giants baseball team was sued for passing out Father's Day gifts to only men. Not long after that, a psychology professor sued for sexual harassment because there was the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party. Now, one I just recently read about, a psychic was awarded almost a million dollars in damages when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. Now, you have to wonder about that third one a little bit, don't you? I mean, if she was really, really a psychic, wouldn't she have known she shouldn't have gone to that doctor or gotten that CAT scan in the first place? Uh, Psalm 103 pushes back on all that negativity by calling us as God's people to give him praise. And in this section of the psalm, we're to praise him for his gracious forgiveness. As David says in verse 10, listen, listen, listen. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He forgives us our iniquities. And then I love how he states it here in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. So let me ask you, how far, how far, how far is the east from the west? Well, that's a wonderful poetic way of illustrating that our God is never, ever reluctant, never reluctant to forgive humble, penitent sinners. And I'd also like to suggest that this phrase that David wrote probably around 1,000 B.C. points forward 1,000 years to when Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross for your sins and mine. As the Apostle Paul would eventually write in the fifth chapter of his great letter to the early Christians in Rome, he said, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know how many of you here have ever read the novel Sophie's Choice or perhaps by some chance saw it when it was made into a movie in the 1980s. The film revolves around its main character, Sophie, who was placed in a German concentration camp 
along with her two children. And at one point after she's in the camp for a little bit, the camp commandant comes to her. And he says to her, choose. Choose one of your children to live and the other one to die. And if you don't choose, they'll both die. And so Sophie's faced with the most agonizing choice that any human being, any parent, any mom would ever have to make. Choosing one of your children to live and the other child to die. And yet the Bible tells us that that's the choice that our Heavenly Father was faced with. I mean, on the one hand over here, we have the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity that the Father had perfect intimacy with from eternity past, who was sinless and holy. And over here he had you and me and the rest of humanity who by nature are corrupt and according to our hearts, we like to act out on our sin. That was the choice our Heavenly Father faced and yet he chose us to live in Jesus to die. Friends, the God that's pictured for us here in Psalm 103 is a God of gracious compassion who forgives every single one of our sins. And if for only that reason alone, we should pause and bow down and praise him every single day. Listen, listen, listen. David comes to us here. And he says, we should pause and praise God because of his many benefits. We should pause and praise God because of his gracious forgiveness. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say we should also praise God for his everlasting love. Look at verses 13 and following of this psalm. David says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Now listen, listen, listen. Verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Well, as David makes crystal clear in the first portion of this section of the psalm, we're all frail and mortal creatures. I mean, friends, the Bible tells us this, and this is true. We come from dust, and eventually, eventually we will return to dust. Uh, we're like grass and flowers that in the summertime, you know this, they're out in your yard, they're beautiful. Those flowers are stunning. The grass is green. It's a great time, but, but now it's November. They're dead. They're gone. Uh, David said that the wind blows over our lives. Wind comes and goes, and it blows quickly. And before we know it, our lives are over. 
I don't know if you've ever come across this website, deathclock.com. Let me explain how this works. A friend of mine showed this to me a number of years ago. You go on deathclock.com, and they want you to enter some basic personal information. Uh, they want you to enter the date of your birth, and then whether or not you're male or female, and then they also want you to enter your body mass index, and they have a little chart there to help you figure it out. So you enter the day of your birth, and then you enter whether you're a man or a woman, and then you enter your body mass index, and then they have this button there, and once you enter all the data and you press the button, deathclock.com, according to insurance actuarial tables, will tell you the exact day of your death. Now, here's what's creepy about it. They take the time from the moment you press the button until the day of your death, and they automatically translate that into seconds, and the seconds are ticking down in front of you, right in front of your eyes. Friends, we're mortal, frail creatures. Someday we will return to dust. That's the bad news, but Psalm 103 doesn't stop there. It goes on to tell us the good news that God has given us his everlasting love. I mean, as we've already seen, David mentions God's love in verse 4 and verse 8 and verse 11 of this psalm. But I want us to look again at verse 17. He says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And the word that he uses here for love is the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed means God's covenant love with his people from eternity past all the way into eternity future. Oh, the Apostle Paul was a great Jewish rabbi. He knew the Old Testament by heart. Certainly he had Hesed in mind when he wrote that passage in Romans 8 that Aaron quoted earlier. Let me quote it again. Uh, Paul says that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Karl Barth's considered by most people to be the greatest Christian theologian of the 20th century. A hundred years ago in 1919, he wrote this brilliant commentary on the book of Romans that completely changed the nature and scope of biblical studies for the next 60 years. Then in the 1930s, he went on to write this massive four-volume treatise of systematic theology that became known as the Church Dogmatics. Uh, on one occasion, after giving a lecture, uh, after the lecture was over, they did a Q&A session, and someone finally made their, their way to the front of the line. And they said, Professor Bart, given all your work and all your scholarship and all your insights, what's the greatest theological truth that you have discovered all these years? And Bart paused, and then he smiled, and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Friends, you might not believe this, but the truth is Jesus loves you, and he loves me, and he is with us through thick and thin, good and bad, sickness and death, 
And then on the great day when he returns, he's going to love us beyond what we can think or imagine. He's going to resurrect us from the dead. He's going to give us a glorified body that is not made of dust, that is not frail, that is not mortal, that can do all kinds of unbelievable things, and it is indestructible for all of eternity. Friends, in this really, really busy season of the year, David comes to us here in Psalm 103, and he tells you and he tells me, you should praise God for his many benefits. You should praise God for his gracious forgiveness. You should praise God for his everlasting love. You know, as you read this psalm, and you read through all these reasons why we should praise God and what David says here. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it, to think, okay, he's given us all this great content and he's going to tie the bow on this thing. But that's not what happened. It looks like that as he thought about how God has done all these things for us and how great God is and how we have all these reasons that we should praise him. It looks like David got more inspired. It looks like he got more emotional. It looks like he got more and more pumped up. I imagine him sitting in his room, and now it's the early evening. And as he comes to this section of the psalm, he's, he's so wired, he gets up and he runs outside. And he looks up to the sky, and it's become dark, and he sees all those stars, those millions and millions of stars and galaxies. And what David does now is he calls on the entire cosmos to break out in praise of this great and glorious God. Look what he says here in 19 through 22. The Lord, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts up there, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. In 1741, the great German composer George Frederick Handel wrote what quickly became his most famous piece of music, his most famous oratorial named Handel's Messiah. It was written in three parts, and Handel was a really, really, really strong Christian. And so he basically wrote the oratorial to follow the narrative from the New Testament of the birth of Jesus and then the life of Jesus, his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, and then Handel also went on to include Jesus' promised return to get us in glory. Well, if you've ever been part of a performance of Handel's Messiah, you know that the most famous part of it, the climax of it, is the Hallelujah Chorus. And when the Hallelujah Chorus is performed, it always brings the audience to their feet. Oh, these final four verses of Psalm 103. It's David's hallelujah chorus to this great and awesome God that you and I get to serve. 
See, what David's doing here is he's calling on everything and everyone in the universe from the tiniest creature to the largest galaxy, including angels and heavenly hosts, to rise up and praise and give glory to God who sovereignly rules and reigns over all and has given us all so very, very, very much. And so Aaron and his team are going to come back up on stage. I want you, I want us to do the exact same thing that David is calling the cosmos to do. I want us to stand on our feet in honor of this Old Testament version of the Hallelujah Chorus. And then from the deepest part of who we are, let's give praise to God for his many blessings, his gracious forgiveness, his everlasting love.